first time to go. So, hey, if you would, take your Bible and open to Romans chapter 8 this morning. Give us a few minutes and we're going to get to Romans 8 and talk through almost the entire chapter. But if you want to open to Romans 8 in your phone or your Bible, we're going to work our way there in just, uh, just a few minutes. Uh, a couple of things up front. Number one, there is a good possibility that God has you here this morning to hear that song from the choir. I pray there's someone here that that is God's gift and God's grace in your life this morning, that you come in here with all kinds of anxiety, you come in here with all kinds of burdens that people don't know about around you, that you would be able to say that through it all, your eyes are on Him, that, that it is well, that He is with you, and that you would receive that grace. You're going to leave still having questions, you're going to leave still having hurt, but it's not yours to bear alone, that you can say, it is well with my soul. And if you say, hey man, I would, I would love to do that, like I, like to, I don't want to sing by myself, but I would love to be a part of a choir, David at EmmausOKC.org. He'll help make that happen. They are working on Christmas music and being a part of the choir. I know he'd love to uh, include you in that. As we get to the end of the sermon today, our response time, probably nine times out of ten, we stand up and, and sing a song together or take the Lord's Supper together at the end of the service. This morning, just because of the nature of the sermon and what we're going to do, I want you to know that at the end of the service today that we're going to do a reflective prayer response, a guided prayer, so right where you are, I'm going to work us through some questions to pray through, so there won't be like a come forward or a stand up and scene at the end, but if we get to the end of the service and you need to speak with someone about the things of the Lord, if you have questions, we stay down here at the front. Uh, people sometimes ask, they say, oh, you know, I'm sorry nobody responded to the service. Well, actually, five people did. There was just conversations after the service was over. And we have, we have some amazing opportunities to pray with people and, and share things. And so I want you to know that even when the service is over, we remain available to you um, afterward. Okay, one more thing before we jump in. I promise we're going to get started. One more thing. Your to-do list, your calendar, let me add something on there, Okay. October the 28th, during the 10.30 a.m. service, we're going to do Bring Your Bible to Church Sunday. All right. Now you say, come on, Owen, I already bring my Bible to church. Or maybe you don't. Didn't mean to guilt you if you don't. But uh, number one, we just want to emphasize, hey, we want to use our Bible at Emmaus. So we're going to bring our Bible. Now, I love, love, love having access to Scripture on my phone. I use it all the time. Most of the time on Sunday morning, I say, if you've got your phone, open it up. I, I think it's great. There is something that I continue to hold on to as being really valuable, having a hard copy Bible in front of you. I think it's, there's, there's value in that, but there's no guilt or shame if you pull your phone out and use that to access the Bible. But we're calling October 28th, Bring Your Bible to Church Sunday, because we're going to use that to help us as a church think about what does it mean to read Scripture and understand Scripture. But here's what I want you to do on that day. If you have an older Bible that carries really heavy meaning for you, maybe it was a grandparent's Bible that was passed down to you, maybe it's a family Bible that's really special, maybe it's a, a Bible that went through a really difficult time, uh, survived a tornado or survived something like that. I don't know what it is. Whatever your story is. If you have a Bible like that that carries really special meaning for you and your family, 
if you'll bring it that Sunday, we're going to set tables up all in the lobby. And we're going to let out of the service probably eight to ten minutes early. So you have a chance to go through the lobby and see some of these Bibles. So you would bring your old Bible, maybe write a quick note about why it's special to you, what kind of meaning it has. And we're going to have a chance to go through the lobby and see some of those, just reminding ourselves of the power uh, of God's Word. We'll have extra security in the lobby that day because I know that the Bible that I'm going to bring that day has a lot of meaning to me and, and so we're going to have people out in the lobby as security that day but I just want you to know you, get, you have that option. Here's the other thing on that day. Most of us have about five extra Bibles at home especially study Bibles that let's be honest we don't use. Um, if you have extra study Bibles at your house that you don't use that are in decent shape bring those that day and we're just going to do a bible exchange bible swap like hey here's this bible if anybody's been looking for a different study bible pick it up and take it with you no questions asked they're just laid out there if they're left over we're going to use them to hand out to people who who need a bible and so that day october 28th bring your bible to church sunday bring an old bible that's meaningful to you bring a study Bible that you don't use but you think somebody else would find valuable and, and want to use. And so we're going to do that together. All right, we need to get to the Bible, to the Word of God. Let me pray over us, and we're going to get started this morning. Father, thank you for the gift of what it means to gather and worship. God, I pray that over the next few minutes as we look at Scripture together, that it's not something we look at as just a book separate from us, God, but it is your word empowered by your spirit at work in our church and work in our lives. God, I pray that you would use this time as continued worship. We worship you through music. We worship you through baptism. We worship you through prayer. And now, God, we worship you through the gift of your word. Father, speak to our hearts. Speak to our church this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you are first children in your family? Raise your hand, first children. Okay, we already knew who you were because you've asked to be in charge of something. So never mind, we knew who you were anyway. Um, so I'm a first child, uh, first kids. How many of you are third children in your family? You came number three. Okay, so, so courageous of you to, to raise your hand, third kid. Um, in my family, three boys, me and two brothers younger than me. When it got time to, for my youngest brother, my, the third boy in our family, to be a senior in high school, the parents make those little poster boards with their pictures on them of how they, my parents realized they couldn't find a baby picture of my youngest brother, kid, kid number three. So kid number one like you run out of space on your phone the first week because you take so many pictures of, of kid number one and all their drawings make it up on the fridge. Kid number three, you think they probably create, you know, completed an assignment somewhere. You probably didn't take any pictures of them along the way. Like they're just totally forgotten and, and left out. Um, and they try to you know, really play that for, for all it's worth. So when we got from kid two to kid three, we realized that man-to-man -man defense and zone defense are very different things. Um, in parenting, when you have two kids, you play man-to-man. -man. When you go to three kids, you play zone, and so somebody is always open when you play zone defense. Um, and you just do your best to, uh, to hold it together. 
sometimes, sometimes, I think we treat the Holy Spirit like kid number three in the family. God the Father, he's in charge, he's in heaven, holy, in control, has all this power. Kid number two, Jesus, is kind of the wild one, broke out of heaven, came to earth, did all these amazing things. Kid number three, Holy Spirit, I, I, probably important, maybe we could find him somewhere. What I want you to hear this morning, as we go through this sermon series about holiness, this morning we are going to think about how does the Holy Spirit impact our understanding of holiness. Now we can't cover everything, obviously, on a topic like the Holy Spirit, but this morning we're going to think through what does it mean that we talk about the Holy Spirit. On your note sheet, if you got one of those small slips of paper coming in, there's three foundation points up front that I want you to know. The first is this. The Holy Spirit is God. We speak of one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not on the same level as Satan or an angel. Worse yet, we don't speak of the Holy Spirit as a force or an it. The Holy Spirit is not the force in Star Wars. Acts chapter 5, look at these verses on the screen. Acts chapter 5, 3 and 4, there's a story of Ananias and Sapphira who are early followers, or maybe followers of Jesus, part of the church. They make a, some terrible decisions. And Peter looks at Ananias and says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then Peter comes right back and says, you have not lied to man, but to God. When we speak about the Holy Spirit, the reference is not it. The reference is he. The, the Spirit is the personal power and presence of God at work in the world. And so Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit, which, is, which meant he, he lied to God. So the Holy Spirit is God's power and presence with us. Uh, I've told you before that the summer after uh, my graduation from OBU, I spent the summer in Cambodia. Cambodia is in Southeast Asia, and during our time in Cambodia that summer, we got to interact with some of the Buddhist monks uh, that were there in the country. And so we were talking to one of the monks uh, at a particular moment and trying to speak to him about the things of God. And what happened was really interesting. The idea of God was that God was very distant from our lives and from our world. And so in his mind, God was very distant. When we spoke about Jesus, Jesus was long ago, and Jesus was the Western God. Long ago in history, and only applied to the West in his mind. And so one of our team members, one of the ladies that was with us on this team said, hey, why don't we talk to him about the Holy Spirit? And so we began to speak about the Holy Spirit, and these cracks started to open up of interest in hearing about God, because now God wasn't far away, and long ago, now, God was here with us. Look at this next, this next slide. Just kind of a, a summary idea. Oftentimes, when you speak to people about God as the Holy Father, that makes God, to some people, seem far away and distant from us. When you speak about Jesus as the Holy Son of God, to a lot of people, that's a historical figure. God is long ago. So God is far away from me. God is long ago, which means God really isn't that interested in my life. 
But this idea of God the Holy Spirit is the idea of God at work in our life here and now. Now we realize, hear me out, we realize that God is Father and God is Son are equally active and involved in our lives and our world. But your friends who are not followers of Jesus don't think that same way. God the Father is far away, God the Son is long ago, but the power of the Holy Spirit is God at work in our lives and God at work in our world. God has come near, God is involved in what goes on in our life. So, which means, the second point of that is that the Holy Spirit didn't show up late to the game. It's not like God the Father got things started, God the Son carried them on, and then the Holy Spirit showed up. Genesis chapter 1, from the very beginning of your Bible, Genesis 1, in the beginning, kids, you guys know these verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering or moving over the face of the waters, and then God speaks the world into existence. The Holy Spirit didn't just appear when we got to the New Testament. God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has been at work from the very beginning. When we talk about spirit, if this is helpful you to, to, to realize or write down, the word spirit is connected to the words for wind and breath. So it's the idea of a moving dynamic power that you don't see but you see the results and the effects of it and so when we speak about the wind we speak of an it when we speak of the spirit we speak of a he we don't see but is like a breath of wind is like a powerful wind that moves and activity or action or results come from that point number three is a foundation is that the holy spirit isn't optional the spirit is god the Spirit has been at work from the very beginning, and the Spirit is not an add-on. Ezekiel chapter 36, even from the Old Testament, God is promising that the Holy Spirit is going to be core to his people. Ezekiel chapter 36, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Go to verse 27. Verse 27 says, I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God is promising his people that his breath, his spirit, his wind will fill them up and give them life. That famous story from Ezekiel chapter 37 comes very next about the valley of dry bones and how the spirit of God began to move and brought those bones back to life as God spoke. God's word and God's spirit brings life. There is no option. The Holy Spirit is not an appetizer or a dessert option on the menu of Christianity. The Holy Spirit is at the core of God's work in your life. To the point, to the point that in John chapter 16, Jesus can say this. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I love this phrase from J.D. Greer. He says that the spirit inside you is even better than Jesus beside you. We would think, why did Jesus leave? Why? If Jesus was here, then we would really make progress in Christianity. But Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away and send the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life. So what I want you to know, church, what I want you to know is that the Holy Spirit is not optional add-on 
for our understanding of God's work in our life. This last Sunday, there was a man named Mark Clifton who came to speak to pastors of churches in our area. And Mark works with churches who are dying or declining, churches where things just are not going in the right direction, which is a shocking number of churches when you start to look at the statistics. In Mark's research, the number one sign of a dying and declining church is an over-reliance on programs and personality and an under-reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit. And you say, oh, and our church isn't dying or declining. Let's think carefully. Let's look deeply into our hearts. And let, uh, I'll start with myself, and we'll, we'll do this together. The number one sign of a dying and declining church is an over-reliance on programs and personalities and an under-reliance on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. May we be careful together that we never say, you know, if we just had this program or this personality or this resource, then we would really see things happen. God, look at all these things. Look at all we have. God, look at these programs we do. Look at the people we have around us. Look at this building we have, the resources we have. God, why, why don't we see? Are there times that we rely more on those things than we do on the work of God's Spirit in and through our lives. And Emmaus, I'm saying that as being right in there with you. I'm saying that as one who loves you, not just as your pastor, but as your friend. I look in my own heart and say, God, do not let us get to that point where we just say, if we had this program or this personality, then everything would be okay. We must have the power of God's Spirit at work in our lives and in our church. And the question is, what does that look like? You've been patient with me. Romans chapter 8, chomping out the bit. What does that look like when the Holy Spirit works in our life and works in our church? Chapter 8 of Romans, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a summary of last week's sermon. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Son of God makes us right with God. No shame, no fear, no guilt. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Which means that apart from the work of God's Spirit in our life, our lives are characterized by sin and death. But the law, the work, the power of God's Spirit sets us free from the power of sin and death. This is how we are able to be made right with God. God's plan carried out through His Son, Jesus Christ, is applied or put to work through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. So Jesus came and took on sin, just like we talked about last week. He came and He lived in this world, and He was condemned, He has condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, In order that, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, listen to this, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Just a quick pause there at verse 5. What this does is divides us into two categories. That we live either according to the flesh or for the flesh, which means we live for the things of this world. We live for our own purposes, our own plans. We live for things that are temporary. We live for things that will ultimately decay and die versus the things of God's Spirit, which brings life. Remember, sin leads to death. God's Spirit brings life. And so as we are transformed, we no longer think about, we no longer live for the things that are going to decay and die. We live for what brings life and hope and peace. Verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. How do I know that the Holy Spirit is at work in my life? Because I am being separated from sin. I'm being taken away from the things that lead to death, and I'm going toward the things that bring peace and life to people around me. Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Living for the things of the wor this world is not just a bad idea. It's to put yourself in opposition to God. That God says you will be devoted to me. Holiness means I'm separated from sin and I'm dedicated to God. I'm not going to live for the things that lead to death. I'm going to live for the things that point people toward the life and peace and hope that come from God. So verse 7, it, indeed it cannot, at the end of verse 7, verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. How do, you, how do I know if this has happened? If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, notice the connection there between the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ at work in your life. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, although this physical body is going to face death because the wages of sin is death, however, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If you are a Bible highlighter, Bible underliner, I know I could probably stop saying that one Sunday, but it just comes out over and over. If you love to mark in your Bible, Romans chapter 8, verse 11 is your friend. You circle it, you highlight it, you mark it. Chapter 8, verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Which is unbelievably radical when you think about it. The same spirit, the same Holy Spirit, the same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that is at work in you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Not a different Holy Spirit, not a lower level Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who empowered and raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit of Christ, is at work in our lives as those who follow and know Him. Which destroys any hope that sin and death have to reign in your life. There is no shame there is no guilt, there is no fear, there is no condemnation. No matter what you have done, no matter what you are facing, none of those things can stay in your life because the power of the Holy Spirit has removed all of that and has made you right with God. 
Verse 12, what do you do with that? So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh. We're not going to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the power of the Holy Spirit destroys the power of sin and death in your life. Good news. Great news. In fact, good news is such a low-level way to put it. The great news of the world is that the sin and death that holds us down, that keeps us separated from God, that results in separation from God, is destroyed and taken away by the power of the Holy Spirit when you trust in Christ. So, as a result of that, get rid of sin in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit and live for Him. Set your mind on the things of God, not on the things of this world. So I put a question there on your notes. Under point number one, how is the Holy Spirit transforming my life? We talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, those characteristics that come from Galatians 5. How is the Holy Spirit transforming my life? How do I know if that's happening? The way I know that is happening is, is my life dedicated to things that are temporary, worldly, going to pass away? Or is my life becoming more and more dedicated to the things that are eternal, and that make an investment in the kingdom of God. So what happens is the Holy Spirit, which can sound very abstract when the guy is on stage talking about it, the Holy Spirit becomes very close and personal when you start to make money choices, and scheduling choices, and relational choices, live, learn, work, play, that we talk about at Emmaus so often, that is where the power of the Holy Spirit starts to show up in your life. Sometimes you hear about the Holy Spirit and you say, oh yeah, yeah, that's if you go to a church where they run around and get really excited. That's maybe part of the work of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit shows up when you're trying to figure out what to buy. And the Holy Spirit's at work when you're trying to figure out who to date. And the Holy Spirit's at work when you're trying to figure out where to live. The Holy Spirit impacts those questions because it's, am I being more and more devoted to the things of this world or more and more devoted to the things of God? Amanda and I went to an amazing conference this uh, past couple of days about the power of the gospel in families as we grow in marriage and parenting and things like that. One of the presenters at the conference, who's a well-known speaker and author, she talked about how in, in recent weeks, her family had to make a decision where two of her kids, uh, who were seventh graders, were asked to, to take part in this traveling basketball team. Um, great opportunity as 7th graders, but great opportunity. They were going to go and, and be a part of this team. And they had to come together as a family and pray and say, God, is this decision that you're leading us to make? Not just, here's an opportunity, we should do it, but what does it look like when the Holy Spirit empowers our decision making? And they had to make a decision where they just had to tell the kids, hey, we're so proud of you that you had this opportunity, but we can't make that decision as a family because of what it's going to take us away from and where it's going to lead us. Now that's not meant to be any sort of guilt or judgment about anyone in decision. What, it, what it's meant to be an example of is when the Spirit of God is at work in your life, the Spirit of God shows up in those decisions. When you're having to ask, is my mindset on the things of God or is my mindset on the things of the world, the Holy Spirit is constantly transforming us from the inside out as we think about, God, what am I living my life for? Then you get on to verse 13. 
Actually, we already read verse 13. How about 14? Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. The Spirit not only gives life, but the Spirit places us in the family of God. How does he do this? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, 15 says. You did not receive the spirit of slavery that would cause you to fall back into fear. Those who have the power of the Holy Spirit are not dominated by fear. Instead, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. When the Holy Spirit impacts your life, it's not just an individual thing. You are made part of the family of God, which means that God's Spirit transforms you so that you are able to cry out to God as your Father and not as a distant being far away who may or may not be interested in your life. So, as many of you know, our third child, the one that we have a couple of pictures of, um, our third child, we adopted her when she was a couple of days old. Um, And in the middle of the night when she needs something, she doesn't go to the lockbox to consult her adoption certificate to say, I wonder if I'm adopted and I can yell for my dad to run into the room because I had a nightmare. No, she just yells, Dad, and I wake up and come running. Because in her spirit, she knows that she can cry out to me as father. She doesn't have to consult an adoption certificate. The power of the Holy Spirit in your life is that as God's spirit gives life and transforms you, you cry out to God as father, not because you go to find a certificate or an experience from long ago, but because God is at work in your life right now. And you have been made part of his family. And so you look to people around you as brothers and sisters. You look to him as father. And you have had this inheritance, this transformation. Here's the way I'd want to say it. You've had a change of identity because of the work of God's spirit in your life. We have some friends um, who are part of a church. And a family in this church adopted a child. And this family's last name was New. So they had been adopted into a new family. I mean, you can't make those things up. Like, that's not even a made-up preacher illustration. That's actually a real story. Um, If your name, last name is New, I'm not going to say you need to adopt, but you need to adopt (laughs) because that child is brought into a new family, and that is such good theology uh, at that point about the way that God's Spirit is at work in your life. Verse 18, so... We're riding high. We've been made new. We're part of the family of God. What do we get for that? Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Wait, time out, Owen. God's Spirit gave me new life, destroyed sin and death. I've been made a part of the family of God. So that means all my suffering goes away, right? And all the... No. What it does mean, though, is that the grace and peace and power of God are actively involved in bringing hope in the midst of suffering. Verse 19 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation, verse 20, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Kids, look at verse 23 in your Bible. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit. As we groan inwardly, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You say, wait, wait, I thought we were already adopted, and now you're telling us we're supposed to wait for our adoption. Have I told you that the New Testament has this reality of now, not yet, <laughs> that shows up all over the place? Are you adopted as a child of God? You better believe you are. Have you experienced all that comes with that? No, not yet have you. And so we, there's something about living in this world of sin and suffering and pain where you say, God, I trust you. The power of your spirit brings hope to my life in the midst of the most painful suffering. And I look with hope to what you're going to one, do one day as you make all things right. Why? Because verse 24 says this, For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Here's a question. How do I know that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in my life? Because I have deep and abiding hope in the midst of suffering. As believers in Jesus, we are not to be people of despair. We are not to be people of panic. We are to be people of hope. How do you know that God's at work in a local church? Because people run there when they need hope. Not when they need guilt, not when they need shame, not when they need judgment. How do we know that God's at work in Emmaus? Because people are tripping over themselves to get here because they are in need of hope. Because they look and say, man, those people struggle. They got all kinds of problems, but they have hope that God is at work among them. What do you do when you're suffering? Verse 26. I'm going to read three more verses here and then jump ahead. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You don't have to raise your hand for this because I think that everybody would raise their hand. There's probably been a time in your life that you said, I do not know what to pray for right now. I don't have the words to express the pain and the confusion and the hurt that I'm feeling right now. You may have prayed that as recently as this morning or this week or this month. God, I do not know what to pray for. Your gift is that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in those moments. That in our moments of weakness, do you know what our moments of weakness are? Every moment of every single day. Sometimes it's revealed very, really clearly. You feel like, man, I'm totally weak now. But that dependence never goes away. And so God's Spirit prays, works, intercedes for us. How? Verse 27, he searches hearts. He who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Um, maybe just a quick application point before we go to the, the last point. What does it look like to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit for prayer during these times, sometimes your best prayers are ugly cries 
Um, like the cry where you're just like, man, I cannot pull things back together right here. Sometimes that is a very beautiful prayer. Sometimes it's sitting in silence, just thinking, God, I would pray to you right now, but I don't have the words, but one thing I do have is trust. And I trust you deeply in this moment. If I could come up with the words, I would, but I know your spirit's at work right now, and so I'm gonna sit in silence and trust that you're gonna work through this. A couple of other things there. If you don't know what to pray, God's given us his word. And so when you can't come up with the words, you have the word. Uh, so, so pray the power of scripture in those moments. Another option is God's given us his people, his church around us that we're gonna talk about more next week. When people step into you, sometimes you don't know what to pray, but somebody comes along and puts their arm around your shoulder and starts to pray for you, and they begin, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to offer that prayer that you couldn't come up with at, at that moment. Sometimes it's not even somebody praying for you. Sometimes it's somebody showing up with a balloon and coloring books. Um, Amanda reminded me of a time when we were, we were just going through a really difficult time as young parents, barely holding on. We'd moved to a new place, horrible living conditions. Life was chaotic. This lady in our church shows up at the door unannounced with a balloon and coloring books. And we just lost it, you know, in, in that moment because talk about the power of the Holy Spirit showing up as a balloon. Um, like at the moment that you needed that, that God's power and presence was made clear by, by the work of God's Spirit. And so what does God's Spirit do? God's Spirit gives life. God's Spirit makes us part of the family of God gives us hope through suffering, intercedes for us in times of weakness. Final thing, a couple of verses from chapter 15. Scroll down your phone, turn over your Bible. We're going to wrap up with this. Chapter 15, verse 14. You say, Owen, oh, all these things about the Holy Spirit seem very inwardly focused. You've talked about us, you've talked about our church. Isn't the Holy Spirit supposed to be involved in getting the gospel out to people? You better believe it. Absolutely. That's at the core of the Spirit's work. Here's where we see that in Romans. Chapter 15, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able to instruct one another. Frankly, Emmaus, that's how I feel about you. I, I see God's Spirit at work, so what do you do with that? But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture, verse 18, to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Listen to this. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. What's that? It's that I may make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Hear me clearly, and then we're going to spend time for weeks and years to come working this out. How do we know that the power of God's Spirit is at work in our lives and our church. We will be overwhelmed by the weight of seeing the gospel go to people who have not heard, as opposed 
to making our church grow larger by trying to get other converted people to come to our church. I know that's harsh. I know that's straightforward. But hear me out. How do we know that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in our church? We will be overwhelmed by the task of getting the gospel to people who have not heard, the reaching out to people who are in need of hope and need of the gospel, as opposed to seeing our name made greater because we're trying to get more people to come to our church. God's Spirit gives us life, establishes us in the people of God, gives incredible hope through suffering, intercedes for us in times of weakness, and then sends us out to say other people need to know that good news, and we will do everything we can to make that happen. Would you pray with me? I want you to have just a moment to reflect. Life moves really fast when we move out of this building. We've got to go pick up kids. We've got things to do, things to move on to. Life is going to come at you fast when we leave. So, so give just a moment. What does it look like right now for the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life and in your family? Do you know what it is to cry out to God as Father? Or do you feel like you've been faking that part of life? How is God's Spirit impacting where you live and work and learn and play? How's God's Spirit impacting your family schedule and resources and relationships? When people look at you, do they see a person of hope? If someone is out of hope, do they run toward you? Do they run toward us, Emmaus? Are we a place of hope in the midst of suffering? If you're hurting today, know that God's Spirit will intercede for you in those times of weakness. He never leaves you or forsakes you. He's patient with us. And as he does that work in our life, he will send us out to share the gospel with others. Who is it at your school? Who is it in your neighborhood that God has positioned you to tell them about the hope? You don't have to have all the answers. In fact, your suffering, your weakness will probably be the thing that allows you to share the good news with somebody around you. We don't pretend we have it all together. We do point people to Jesus. God, I pray that for people who have been here this morning, that this time of worship and prayer and study of Scripture have been good for our souls, good for our families. God, you're so gracious to us. God, even as we respond to you just in the next few minutes, Father, that we would continue to experience your power at work in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.